On this episode of the Wonder Life Podcast, I have an amazing conversation with Lori Benson, who is an old friend from back in the day, and I stumbled across her as the universe would have it, and found out that she is doing some extraordinary work to help folks who are crossing the border and trying to find safety and freedom in our country and all of the challenges that they face as they are truly walking across a border for their very survival. This episode is so inspiring. I just cannot wait for you to hear. And then I'm really curious to know if you feel the way that I do. How can we sit and do nothing when there are humans on this planet who need us? So a friend of mine said, if you're this close to the border, you have to come down and see what's going on. Um, Coming down the dirt road, we came across 15 people walking down the road. We pulled over on the side of the road and there were seven adults and eight kids. They were all, it was hot, but they were all in winter clothes because they had heard that when you cross the border, if you get picked up, that you end up um, in a detention center outside of Tucson called, that they call the ice box because they won't adjust the AC. We pulled over on the side of the road, got out of the car um, to talk with them. And I met eyes with one of the mothers and the look of absolute terror and fear in her eyes um, ripped my heart out of my chest. Welcome to the Wonder Life Podcast, the voice for health and wellness, where soul, science, and technology meet. I'm your host and super fan, Andrea Ritter, and this season is our global family reunion where we will explore transformation, health and wellness, and how we can unite to save our planet. We hope you are inspired. Thank you for joining. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Um, You guys, this is so exciting. I have Lori Benson here with me and we're actually live. Thank you, Lord. Um, This is going to be an amazing treat because Lori is going to take us on a journey. And um, just a little background, I met Lori about 10 years ago. She owned the coffee shop in one of the towns I lived in. And we've crossed paths over the years. And um, you have just really evolved through um, your purpose in life. And we connected and you started to tell me the story, which we're going to, I mean, I already have the chills and I'm like, (laughs) okay, I'll cry. I'll cry before (laughs) you start talking. Um, But take us on your journey to where we are now. And this, just to preface, this is a story of humanity, the connectedness of humanity, and the reality of that we're all here to change the world. So, Lori, <laughs> welcome. <laughs> thank and, you, thank you. Um, tell us what took you to the border. So, um, I spent years 
kind of working through um, embodiment coaching. And a lot of time really trying to understand kind of the messages, I guess, that my body was sending me. How do I pay attention and reconnect to um, my heart space and, and what I'm supposed to be doing? And I think so many of us, especially as women, move into that space of like, what am I supposed to be doing? Mm. Where do I, what, where do I find something that really um, kind of fulfills my purpose? So I was in Sedona, Arizona, working on a story sharing project that I had that was all in the same, same vein of um, just showing our shared humanity. And the, the question the people were answering um, in their sharings was what experience in your life kind of shifted your trajectory? which now when I look back, it's really funny that those were the conversations that I was having when my trajectory <laughs> shifted dramatically. So a friend of mine said, if you're this close to the border, you have to come down and see what's going on. So I had 24 hours and I drove down to Ajo, Arizona. Um, and it was during the time when um, they were starting construction on the border wall and they were blowing up the sacred burial grounds of the Tohono O'odham, who are the indigenous in this area to build the wall through. Uh, so I thought that's where I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go see, I need to witness, I need to bear mm. witness to what's happening. So I went into Oregon Pipe Cactus National Monument um, with a friend of mine and we were driving through and went to go see where they were protesting and what was happening. And on our way out, um, coming down the dirt road, we came across 15 people walking down the road. And this is the only part of the story I still can't share without getting emotional because um, it had such a huge impact on me. Um, we pulled over on the side of the road and there were seven adults and eight kids and the kids were little, um, riding on the parents' shoulders and in their arms. And they were all, it was hot, but they were all in winter clothes because they had heard that when you cross the border, if you get picked up, that you end up um, in a detention center outside of Tucson called that they call the ice box because they won't adjust the AC. So it's just always cold and people get sick. And so they're told um, no matter what time of year to bring winter clothes. So they were all decked out in winter clothes. And we pulled over on the side of the road, got out of the car um, to talk with them. And I met eyes with one of the mothers and the look of absolute terror and fear in her eyes mm. um, ripped my heart out of my chest. And I thought, I feel like I'm the least threatening person in the world. Yeah. But, um, but she was scared to death. Mm. And I've come to find out they were from Ecuador. They'd been traveling for months. They had been told as soon as they just crossed the border by the coyote, the guide that they had paid, and you'll be in Los Angeles. Oh. And they crossed and they were standing in thousands of acres of desert um, for as far as they could see. And that's the terrain they had been walking through. And at that point, um, they just asked us to get La Migra, the immigration border patrol, because um, they were ready to, to go wherever they needed to go, but they couldn't do it anymore. Mm. Um, so that shifted the trajectory of my life, really. I, 
I could not believe that that was happening in the United States, two states away from where I've lived forever. Um, and I had no idea. And I thought, what don't I know? Like, what right. is what is this? So that was February of 2020. I went home and we went into quarantine. So my intention was to go right back down and um, see how I could get involved. And again, hindsight, I'm really grateful that I couldn't just move into action. And I had this forced time of really figuring out what my space was in all of this. Um, so I started doing research, connecting with different organizations, asking if anybody had um, put together any sort of map that mapped out kind of the migrants' needs from south of Mexico through the asylum process, and then if there was any sort of overlay with the resources available. And it turns out the Women's Refugee Commission was right in the middle of that project, um, but they didn't have um, the pieces in place or the information for Arizona. So I said, I'll take that on. I will figure out Arizona. So wow. it, it just, that's a job. It was amazing. Cause I, it, what I did is I just started reaching out to every organization down there and everybody doing work um, and made these beautiful connections. And through that, um, Madre Seijos came to life and my heart space has always been around mothers and children. I love my husband. He's an amazing man. <laughs> but um, the women and children for me has always been kind of where I know I'm supposed to be um, standing. So that has evolved um, and kind of has two areas of focus now. One being creating safer journeys for the families, women and children, um, as they make their journey, if they have no option other than to migrate and um, then the Artisan Project, which is growing daily in really beautiful ways. I just, we just added a family in Guatemala last night. So we're up to eight communities um, in Mexico, Guatemala now, and El Salvador, where we're working with women in their home communities, helping them create revenue streams that mitigate the need to migrate. So we're trying to get in front of um, that need. So before, and some of these women have been weeks, they've been saving up money to, to pay the guide to help them, you know, try and get into the US and by opening up this door, they're able to stay home. And so there's some really, really, there's the, um, I've never been I guess in such const in such a constant space where um, joy and sorrow mm. exist at the same time. What does that feel like? Um, it's it's it is really tough. I'm really grateful. Like for on the edge of tears all the time. <laughs> yes, really. I feel like when you said it, it's like I feel it like in my throat. Mm -hmm. It's like um, and in my heart. Yeah, I mean it's. Um, it's real, right? And I and I feel like I'm constantly really raw. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of feel like when I was pregnant and like the silliest commercial would make me cry, right? <laughs> I feel like I am in that space all the time. I have a feeling that this is what being alive mm. is like. I and when we talked about this, you know, a couple months ago, I really like it like 
touched me to my core. And I like personally, like have to be real about like, I love the world and I know I came here to shine my light upon the world. However, in a lot of ways for a long time, I've been shining my light on the world from the mountaintop. And so like, I, you know, I mean, like, of course, in like personal relationships, I am available, but like for the global, I think that I've stayed uh, detached or at arm's length because I am such an empath that it will, it, like, I, I think I'm afraid that it'll swallow me up because I, I tend to feel everything. If my son, to, my son told me about his friend at school who cut his finger off and I could feel it. I was like, Oh my God. Like, and like, and so that's like something that I have to, to figure out. But when you told me about these folks and we're going to talk about why people would even have to take that journey and what's going on. Because I think that like, I mean, I try not to read the newspaper. I will look at the New York times one time a week and people can judge me for whatever. I just, it's like, it becomes all consuming for me. And so I think that that's why I've stayed detached. But when you told me the story about the people, like real live people, mothers, fathers, and children who are risking their very lives to save their lives, to come here because of the conditions in their own country. I'm like, I, I, I'm going to have to get, I'm going to have to become alive. I'm going to have to, it's like the Velveteen rabbit. Like I'm going to actually have to allow myself to be alive and live in the space between joy and sadness or not in between, but like let, like in a, in an alignment with that and just allowing it to be what it is because arm's length living is not living um, like fully and, and it's, it's self-preservation, but it's like, okay, well I got to evolve yeah, because that's a, that's a stuckness and that's just about fear of feeling. Yeah. And it's hot. I mean, it's tough that first. So having that first experience, um, I drove home the next day and by the time I got home, Um, I mean, I walked upstairs and walked into my bathroom and fell and sat on the floor and just lost it. And my husband came in and said, this might be too much for you. (laughs) And I said, it absolutely is, but I can't, (laughs) but this, you don't understand. I can't not do this now. Like now I know. Yeah. Once you know, you can't not know. Exactly. Um, I can't turn away. And, and almost every trip this last, this, so I just got back last week and this is the first time that I've gone and not come back and gotten really sick. I had to oh, cancel our last podcast, our, our last time we were going to do this because I just gotten back and I got really sick. So you're an empath and you're taking, so you were physically taking on all of it. Yep. And it was, I mean, it would take me out for about a week. Um, and we would have the same conversation in my house. Like, is this, can you do this? Right. Mm-hmm. And my answer was, I can't not do this. Right. Right. So I will figure it out. Hang in there. <laughs> walk this path with me and I will figure it out and I will try my best not to get sick. And um, and I'll tell you, the Artisan Project has actually been the key for me. Because when I go down and I'll share some of the stories that are just so unreal. I mean, we're seeing it right now in Del Rio, Texas. All over the news um, were the, you know, the Border Patrol on horseback using their reins to 
try and control, I'm doing that in quotes, the Haitians um, who are coming in droves right now. Um, that it's a war zone down there. And if I were just to have stayed in that space, what I now know, um, that space motivates me and I need to continue to bear witness and be present and see what is happening. Um, and I can't stay in that space. If I stay completely in that space, it'll, it'll take me down. So what I'm so grateful that I've been able to do is kind of some of that embodiment work that I, that I coached people on for Isn't so long. Amazing? Isn't yes. it amazing how you're set up yes. for different uh, times of your life? Yes. And so by kind of really sitting in my body, listening, paying attention to what was going on, I was like, what are, what are my strengths, right? What do I know how to do well? Um, and this artisan project kind of brings all of the, my gifts, I guess, into one space. I know how to do this. This is easy for me. So by being able to be present to what's happening and know also that I'm creating this inroad for these communities to say, we don't want to leave home. We don't want that to be us, but man, can someone throw us a line? Can we get yeah. a little help over here? Um, so what are, so what, why are, and granted, you know, we don't know why everyone would possibly leave their home um, and go through absolute hell and like risk their very lives to come here. What is happening um, with some of the folks that you have been in touch with or you've, you've met on, on their journeys? So, um, you know, it's funny, it all, there's so many factors, right? That, that play into why people are migrating. Um, and I really think that at the heart of all of it, it's, it's resources, which climate um, episodes are impacting. It's making the cartel stronger, all these, you know, it's these, it's this lack of resources in these communities that people are migrating from. And the cartel is essentially like the mafia, right? Yes. And so, so they're controlling the people and the money and the resources that come in and out. Yeah. So perfect example, there's this um, two women, um, a mother in Chiapas and her daughter is back home in El Salvador. They're both part of the Artisan Project. Her, so Wendy is in El Salvador now. Um, her family, that's where she was born and raised in El Salvador. They had always lived in the same community. Her mom and her stepdad had like six clothing stores around the area and they were doing really well. So because they were doing so well, they were targeted by the cartel and everybody in their community pays a monthly fee. And it's like, they're literally paying to keep themselves safe. So the, so the cartel, they go from house to house every month and they collect a fee. Well, they came to Wendy's house and said, you guys are doing so well, um, we want your cars. Too. And they said, we can't give you our cars. We don't even, we, we don't own them. We own money on them. And they said, well, then we'll be back tomorrow for $5,000. And in El Salvador, even with six stores, they didn't have access to $5,000. Um, so they showed up the next day and they didn't have it. And they said, um, 
we'll be here again tomorrow. And if you don't have it, you're, you're not going to make it out alive. None of you are. So they all fled in the middle of the night. Her sister was in the university. They were all, you know, on what seemed to be a really amazing path forward for themselves in their home community. Um, and so they, they started walking and they made it to Tapachula, um, Mexico. I think it was like a three week journey. Um, and thought that they would call that home, which that's also one of the most violent places they could have landed in Mexico. Um, but one of the gang members, one of the cartel members from their home community in El Salvador was there, recognized them, so they had to flee there. Mm. Ended up in Nogales, Arizona, um, just as the border closed. And they enacted Title 42, which pretty much says because of COVID, no one can get across. Um, and then, had horrible things happen to them um, and beautiful things. They ended up meeting this woman, Dora Rodriguez, who has an organization called Salva Vision. And Dora said, "Where I can help you, where do you want to be? And Wendy said, I want to go home. So Dora helped Wendy get back to El Salvador and Sandra, the mother and her, her other daughter um, didn't feel safe back there. So they ended up in Chiapas. Um, that's just one example, another, um, two trips ago, when I was down there, I went to this Casa de la Misericordia, which is in Nogales, um, Sonora, Mexico. And it's a shelter that's run by Sister Lika, this beautiful woman who's created this oasis um, where asylum seekers can stay as long as they want. And we pulled up because the women were going to start to be a part of the artisan project. And right outside the gate, there was a mom, young mom, she looked 12, she was 22, 24, um, with her six-year-old little girl and her three-year-old little boy. And she was just in tears at the gate. And we pulled up and called inside and said, there's this young mom and her two kids, um, can she come in? And they said, we have a waiting list of over a hundred people and they all have these same stories. We just can't let her step in front of everyone else. So we talked to her and she had um, come from Southern Mexico the day before, I guess it wasn't the day before, the day before she left her brother, it was only her brother and her, her parents had migrated to the US years ago. Um, the cartel killed her brother and said they would be back the next day for her and her children if she couldn't come up with X amount of money. Um, so she walked in the middle of the night, walked out the door with her two kids and made it to Nogales where she heard that she would be able to cross and explain her story that, you know, request asylum because her family member had been killed and they were now coming for her. A, a very viable, um, real reason to seek asylum and safety. And she, she couldn't get through. They wouldn't even listen to her. You, there's no way forward for people right now. So she made it to the shelter and they were full. So she, when we left the shelter, she was still waiting for us. And she got in the car with us and said, can you just, I have money. Can you help me find a hotel or a room to rent anything? If you are at, you're over the border. You're not yeah. in Arizona, we're, you're in Mexico. We're in Mexico. Okay. Yeah. Um, so she gets in the car and we start driving around and there's nothing. There's so many people waiting. There was nowhere for her to go. Um, so her kids immediately are asking for water and food and 
um, asking for me to take pictures with them. I mean, they're kids, right? Yeah. You know, as soon as I gave them food and water, they came to life. It was like, you know, feeding the plants, yes. feeding the flowers. And then they wanted to take selfies and, and look at my phone. And, um, and we couldn't find anywhere for them except this one parking lot that had a, a gate that on the other side of the parking lot, it was packed full of families um, that were just sleeping on the concrete. So are you talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of people who, I mean, I have the biggest chills who are like leaving their homes because they are threatened, like very, like very real threats. Yeah. And they're going to a town near the border because they need help and they're having, like, there's nowhere very few places for people to go. There's so many places, there's so many people and not enough spots. Exactly. It's so like, what's our government, I mean, is our, what's, is our government able to do anything? I mean, it's a tricky, it's a tricky situation. Um, you know, like, and, and, and then I guess it's like, what are you able to do, you know, in your calling for your brethren? So, I am a part of the, the White House Arizona Welcoming Task Force Committee. There are about six organizations and we're all on there. Um, and we're on calls every other week. It started out with the White House and now it's, we've, we keep getting um, downgraded to who we're actually <laughs> talking to. And this is happening with all of the, the orgs along the, board, or along, along the border. Um, but the conversation constantly is, about the disconnect between what's actually taking place on the border and what they think they're putting in place in DC. Mm -hmm. So the disconnect between the policymakers and what's happening on the ground. And I'm sure this is the case in every, yeah. you know, call it Im for immigration, whatever it is. I'm sure this is the similar story um, for anybody on the ground trying to get something to happen. But what the, what is, devastating right now that's creating so much more hurt and trauma is Title 42. So Title 42, during the Trump administration, Stephen Miller found this, um, this policy that allowed them to completely close the border and say, we aren't even going to take asylum requests because of the pandemic. So it shut everything down. And that's when we started to see huge camps, um, huge camps of people on the other side, right on the other side of the border and on the other side of the wall. Um, the hope and the promise was that when the Biden administration stepped in, these policies that are completely inhumane and are actually making the cartel stronger would go away, that they would immediately remove these horrific um, policies, that they'd be lifted, and that we could start to look at what, what could truly be the most humanitarian friendly way moving forward, staying, keeping everything legal, pulling people out of the deserts um, where they're being forced across in these horrific areas and, and dying, um, and it hasn't happened. So Title 42 still remains in place. They, no one's allowed to ask for asylum. For example, that young mom 
and her two kids, she said, can't you just drive me right there to the border patrol and ask them to hear my story as mm. she's sobbing in the backseat of the car. And we couldn't. And meanwhile, like she's dealing with, she can't even deal with her grief around her brother. No. Like that just happened. And the reality of, of where she was, was starting to sink in. Um, I was with Dora from Salva Vision and I asked this young girl, I said, do you have family in the United States? And she said, yes, my dad's in Chicago and my mom's in Los Angeles. And Dora said to her, okay, it's okay that you told Lori that from this point on, if anybody asks you, if you have, if you have family in the United States, your answer is no. Cause as soon as people know you have any connection to anybody in the U S you will become a target and oh. you, you will be kidnapped and you will be held for ransom. So that's how, why they're taking kids. They're taking anybody. And she said, I need you to take that little gold chain that's on your daughter's neck, take that off and put it somewhere on your body where no one's going to find it. You want to blend in as much as possible. Like don't look like you have any resources. Cause as soon as they think you have resources, they being the cartel. So are the cartel at the border, like who's at the border? So we, so we, so we have the wall, yeah. the glorious wall that four people wanted yeah, or 8 million, <laughs> whatever, you know? <laughs> yes. So this ridiculous wall yeah. and I can't even, and I'm clearly not a historian, but by the way, we don't like none of us were supposed to be here unless we're from our native American brethren. Yes. So like that whole thing. And I, I get, we need to have things in place, but this whole thing is crazy. Yeah. So, so we have at the border, we have the cartel. So, so the cartel will come to the border and like seek people out. And then like, and then the U S folks are managing the other side of the border. And, and is the Mexican, I know I'm asking a lot of questions, but is the government, is the government in cahoots with the cartel? Is that the issue in Mexico? So they don't care about their people? So um, there is so complicated. I mean, There's so many. So there, I mean, all your questions are, are beautiful, right? And there's so many pieces at play. So especially because of Title 42 and then this MPP, which was the Migrant Protection Protocol, remain in Mexico is what everyone called it, that Trump also put in place. Um, because nobody could get across. And so many people were literally backing up, right? On the Mexico side, the cartel, what we've ultimately done is created this new um, economic engine for the cartel. It's now more lucrative for them to move people than it is drugs. Wow. So people will, they'll say like, Hey, you have money. I can get you across the border and it's going to be $20,000, you know, anywhere from 4,000 to, to 20,000 and up. Um, and people will call family back home. I need more money. Um, they do anything they can to try and come up with the money with enough money for the cartel. Because okay, so the cartel now like the coyotes, Yes. Okay. So a coyote is, is, is a guide to help people across the border. So it's a business. So I might come up to you and say, you know, or where are you trying to go? And I can, you pay me X amount of dollars and I can get you there. Yes. So now the cartel, they're taking over that side of the business. So they're all, it's all connected. Um, it's all connected and it's now more lucrative to move people than it is to move drugs. So, 
you know, these, whatever the impetus is to migrate, people show up at the border um, and they're so close and they have been fed these dreams of um, the American dream. You know, they want, you'll hear like, if I can just cross and work for three months, six months, nine months and send money back to my family, then they don't need to come. If I can just get there, they have this like glimmer of hope and they get so close. Um, so when they pay a coyote, however much money they're asking for, they get three tries to cross for that amount of money. So a perfect example, um, I was at uh, Casa de la Esperanza, which is a resource center in Sasa de Sonora. So on the Mexico side, was there with, with the women who are in the um, artisan project. They were all coming. They weren't there yet. Not all the women weren't there yet. And three men showed up. They had just been um, in expedited removal. So they'd just been removed, found in the desert, dropped into Sasabe, which is a town, teeny tiny little town with no resources. You can't even get a taxi to get to the closest real town, which is Altar, um, 40 minutes away. So they, they started dropping them people into this little community, they had nothing. Who was driving them, the coyotes? Border Patrol. Oh, okay. Border Patrol was picking them up and would just drop them across the border and just, you know, leave them to their own. Here you are, doesn't matter where you're from, this is where you are. Wait, back me up real quick. So the Border Patrol, the American Border Patrol, would get the people out of Mexico and bring them or they were dropping them back into Mexico? Back into Mexico. Okay. So this was anybody they would find um, who had crossed illegally, which right now is the only way to cross, um, they would, this was the whole remain in Mexico. They, it didn't matter what country they were from, they would be brought and dropped in Mexico, from the U.S. into Mexico. So Salvacion worked with the local community to open this resource center called Casa de la Esperanza, which has been this blessing because people have somewhere to go to get food, water, um, shower, clothes, and, and kind of have a little bit of their dignity given back to them. So while I was there this last trip, um, three men got removed from the States. They went through um, kind of the checkpoint on the Mexico side and then walked down to the resource center, which isn't that far from the border. And they were from Chiapas. One was from Chiapas, Mexico. One was from Guatemala and one was from Honduras. Um, and the man from Chiapas and the man from Guatemala have family back home. And they both, they had all just spent days in the desert um, with no food or water. And the man from Chiapas finally called 911 from the US side, which happens a lot because people are about to die in the desert. And they know that if they feel like they can't make it any further, if they call 911, Border Patrol will find them, get them and, and bring them back to Mexico. Um, so he called 911, they brought them all back. They got to the resource center. And I really thought that the man from uh, Chiapas and the man from Guatemala were going to go home because that's one of the things that the resource center offers. They raise funds through donations on the U.S. side to provide transportation to back to their home countries if that's what they want to do. And I really believed when I left there that day that those two men were going home. 
Um, they were so near death. They realized they almost didn't see their families again. And in that moment, when they had just gotten back and were getting food and water, they said, there's no way they were going back out in the desert. Whereas the man from Honduras was young in his twenties and um, he was like, I can do it. I have two more tries. I have to do it. My family, his mom and, and siblings back home. He's like, we have no choice. I have to get across. Um, so when I left there that day, I thought two were going home and one was going to cross again. It turns out all three of them tried to get across again. Um, and I don't know if they got picked up and returned because what border patrol will often do. Cause how do they get across? Do they climb a fence? Like how, what's the crossing? So your, your original question of who's, who's in cahoots at the border, uh -huh. everyone's in cahoots. So the border wall itself, um, has gates to go through, to pass through. Well, border patrol has given keys to the gates to the coyotes. Oh, stop it. Yeah. So there are videos, you can see videos online of the gates open and, and people just passing through. Um, they also built the border wall through major floodplains. Um, so during the monsoon season in the desert, the flash floods get intense and it's taken down huge sections of the wall. Oh, good. Yes. Mother nature yes. always prevails. She, she do her work. She is being so kind in all of this. Um, so it, I mean, it, it is a war zone down there. Everyone's working, you know, whoever can give whoever money there's, um, it's this economic engine down there that's based in, um, human life. It's, it's a, it's a tough space to, to stand in and start to understand really how it's all working and how it's all coming together. So how do you feel when you're down there? Do you feel like your personal safety is at risk? I mean, cause you probably stand out. Yeah. So, um, when I go down and cross quite a bit going into, I'll stay in Arizona, but I cross into the different communities that I'm working with in the artisan project. Um, you know, th when I've crossed three or four times in one trip, when I come back, I get questioned a lot more by the border patrol. What are you doing? I have a friend um, who was in a similar situation. She had crossed three times and she got pulled into secondary, which is when they really start to ask you questions. And mm -hmm. um, they thought she, they were convinced if she was going that many times across the border, she must be moving drugs and ended up strip searching her and cavity check and young 30 something year old woman by herself. Um, so they kind of have, have, they're unchecked. Uh, they can do whatever they want. And so you just have to um, be sweet as you move through the checkpoints and they definitely ask lots of questions and try. It's interesting, you can start to understand the training that they've had to engage you in conversation, to try and get you to trip up. Uh -huh. um, because then they can pull you and move into greater conversations or it's just it's all scare tactics right uh -huh. um i have never felt if people have listened to this and they feel called to want to help because we are one world i don't care what border what line in the sand's been drawn these are all made up lines we are one world mm -hmm. i mean we 
have we're, we're, we've had a global pandemic together yes. that has affected all of us and made us one big giant world, whether we know it or not. So yes. we need to get on that train. So if I want to help, if I want to contribute to, you know, the project, how do I do that? So on the website, which is Madres e Hijos. And um, we'll put that in the show notes because Lord knows I can't spell that for you right now. <laughs> Um, people can join as members. Oh, so it's an annual membership fee, $33 for individuals, 333 for businesses. Um, and a lot of people are stepping up and doing it saying, this is my contribution to supporting these individuals. Um, and that money goes directly to the women in these communities, these families that are trying to stay home. And then I, there will be um, an online store happening soon. That's exciting. Yeah, with the product that these women are making. So That's they're, amazing. They're embroidering these beautiful things. So there'll be tote bags and they make these mantas um, and jean jackets and some fun things that are going to be coming online soon. Oh, that's so exciting. Yes. So we will share all that information with people awesome. so they can get involved and, you know, do do their part. Amazing. I love it. This has truly been so amazing. Oh, so good. And I just like shine the light on you and this work that you're doing. It's like, there are no words. It's mm -hmm. just, it's so deep. Like I, yeah, the whole thing is so deep to me and I just, I can't even express it at this point, but I know that your work has changed me mm -hmm. and that is what this is about. So I'm just going to ask the spirit, like, what do I need to do? Well, to elevate. And I would just say to reciprocate that, I mean, th this is huge, right? Sharing it with your community um, is such a gift. So thank you for, for being here and, and opening this door and creating um, greater awareness because that is what this is all about. Amen. And I so appreciate it. Oh my gosh. And the truth is we do have a voice. We do have a way. And, and so the way is made once we're ready to to make that that choice. So whatever it is that anyone is doing, get into your soul and listen. Mm -hmm. Now is the time. It is. It absolutely it's is. It's the only time we got. It absolutely is. And we can't do it by ourselves. No. That's why I'm so grateful for community. Amen. Amen. One world, y'all. We'll see Lori back soon, and uh, we'll keep you posted. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. Such a gift. This has been an episode of the Wonder Life Podcast, the voice for health and wellness, where soul, science, and technology meet. You may find us on social at wonder.life at Wonder Health or at WonderHealth.com. And that is Wonder with a U.